Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Spectacularly. <laughs> to listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Yeah, if that didn't tip you off or the episode title didn't tip you off, we are finally, <laughs> finally... <laughs> Covering the second and final season of The Spectacular Spider-Man, which we've been on the record many, many times as our favorite that we've seen so far. For me, definitely favorite. I don't think anything's ever going to change that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Did Unlimited like top your list for favorite, even if it's not like the best? <laughs> I don't know. It's complicated. I was thinking about how to address that uh, just yesterday. I was like, Unlimited is so weird, and I have such a strong affinity and affection for it, but but would I call it my favorite? And I just don't know. I don't know at this, at this point. It muddied the waters in a way I never could have expected. <laughs> I think there's also something, too, like that show was really fun to talk about for so many different ways, like mm-hmm. for its like pros and cons about it were both all really fun to talk about and its place and legacy was really fun to talk about yeah but also so i think that there's like a special place that it holds in my heart just because i think some of our best conversations came from that show um, like unexpectedly but this show is also like spectacular is also perfect for our podcast for how like kind of deep we go into like the narratives and context for things because there's so much of it and there's so much like depth built into it and i think for the average what's your favorite show conversation Spectacular is a a more accurate answer for what most people are actually looking for when they're asking that question. Do you know what I mean? Like there are Disney movies or Pixar movies that like I might have a stronger affinity for, but wouldn't cite as my favorite if someone was just casually asking like, what's your favorite Disney movie? You know what I mean? Because sometimes the affinity is the weirdness and it doesn't necessarily translate to the conversation you're having. So, yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it's complicated right now. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. We'll see it is. As, as we cover this, this second season, but it is, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because if you listener are somebody who found us specifically because you were looking for more spectacular content and therefore are only listening to our spectacular content, or maybe you found us in the future, and decided to to listen to all of our spectacular content all at once. It's worth noting that we've watched a bunch of stuff between when we talked about the first season of Spectacular and now. We talked about the second season of the 90s show. We talked about all of Spider-Man Unlimited. We've covered uh, a bit of Amazing Friends and a bit of 1981. We did some specials. I think we did Phineas and Ferb. Like a whole array of things mm-hmm. that are undoubtedly going to, in probably a minor way, but in some way, color uh our our thoughts or at least references 
moving yeah. forward. So yeah. uh, if you're wondering, that's we've we we didn't go right from season one into season two. We've we've had a lot of stuff in between. Yeah. Well, those episodes for context were episode our episode 12 through 18 mm-hmm. and now we're on episode 59 so a lot has happened Ooh, in between maybe yep i would say i still i did listen back to to those episodes kind of preparing for for our podcast and i mm-hmm. do think that they i i mean even though that was so kind of early in the life of our show i think that we we had very 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 good conversations in them i'm so They're really good. proud of those episodes they're long because we were still bi-weekly and doing two episodes at a time but I, they equate to the length of like what two episodes right. are now for us. So like, yeah. it's still the same amount of content as you would have gotten if it was weekly. So don't be afraid of the uh, timestamps on those episodes. Just you know, break I them up. I would assume. <laughs> I would assume that if somebody's listening to our spectacular season two episode one, they've probably dipped into that. I would be Maybe. shocked if they're starting here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you um, are, go back because those are good conversations. I listened to some of it too, uh, and I was like, "Wow, we're we're good at this." <laughs> so you should check it out. Yeah, and it's going to definitely set the stage for uh, for what we have to talk about now. Uh, well, we have a tendency to talk a lot about spectacular, so it might be worth diving in, especially because we know more about this show than we have recent shows we covered and so we've got lots of production stuff too yeah so what i decided i made this executive decision <laughs> to like there's a lot that happened with this season like in kind of how it was mishandled and got like honestly just like full-on parker luck um, which we hinted at in the first season episodes that we talked about right so and i figured instead of like necessarily aligning it with the timeline that it happened just kind of laying it all out right at the top here because especially knowing once we get to the final episode we're going to have tons and tons to talk about because we're going to be talking about our final thoughts and probably throwing out like the few things that that have come out uh, about like what would have come afterwards. So what I compiled was pretty much just a timeline of e- literally everything bad that ever happened to this season behind the scenes, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with the creative team. It's just how it was all handled. So I'm just going to run through that now. We're all going to be depressed and sad, and then we'll get into like a very good episode of the show and get happy again. So Let's just do that. But it is all really interesting, uh, as, as bad as it is. So a few of the terrible things that happened this season. Actually, before the season even started, uh, or even started production, really, literally right around the time when, when the first season premiered, um, I found an old article from Variety that it was talking about how CW, which is the network it was airing on in the first season, was going to kind of be brokering its Saturday morning block to an outside supplier. So it wasn't going to be uh, dealing with, like, in-house like it wasn't going to be renewing shows or anything it was literally just going to just be like whoever wants to buy this block of programming on our individual cw stations can do it we don't care what's airing that said culver entertainment was still like funding and already making a second season so like they were in production weren't going to stop production sony still wanted to make the show it was just nobody knew like where the episodes would air cool yeah so the result of that meant that like there was a very long time before season two aired in the u.s like season one great ratings everything seemed to be looking great if cw was still doing its own block no doubt that they would have like quickly brought season two out as soon as it was done because it was doing very well 
but it didn't. It took a very long time. The finished episodes were you're, we're very familiar with this with in the Power Rangers fandom. But the uh, season two episodes, because it took so long in the U.S. to make like a distribution deal for it for where to air, it ended up airing internationally way earlier, like six months before it aired in the U.S. Uh, before Oof. anyone even knew. So around January two thousand and nine, it aired everywhere else, and the series stopped production at the end of season two because Sony wasn't going to renew it. Unless, you know, it was it was all going to depend on the DVD sales and the ratings for season two, but specifically in the U.S. because that's the market that they care about. So they had to just stop because no one knew if they were going to justify having a third season until it aired in the U.S. And nobody knew when or if it was going to air in the U.S. Good Lord. Yeah. And I remember it was during this time that I was... Like, just going to wait until it aired in the U.S. Because, like, well, I mean, that's fine. It was, you know, annoying. But, like, I assumed that it would. And then I remember just, like, kind of peeking online and I saw, like, a YouTube video that was, like, a, it said it was a trailer for season two or season two preview or whatever. So, like, oh, okay, cool. And I, it, But I clicked on it and started watching it. And it turns out it was just a fan-made thing for, that someone had pulled Ooh. from international, like, international episodes that had aired. And there was, like, a big spoiler, like, in the middle of it. <laughs> And I stopped it. Luckily, it didn't get to like it didn't cover every spoiler and not any of like the ones that I really would have cared about. But it was still a big enough spoiler that I was sort of like, I'm just going to fucking watch the show on illegally on the Internet, I guess. Um, And then I'll just watch it again when it airs because I already know I like it. I'll just watch it again when it actually airs legally to to support it. So, yeah. So I like watched the first watch this whole season on YouTube, 2009 YouTube. So not high quality. (laughs) And I think it was like like from like Canada's Nickelodeon station and it was all like kind of pitched up. So it wasn't even like pitched correctly, but it was still a good season despite all that. So like that says a lot for how great this show is. Mm -hmm. All that aside, about a full year after the season one finale. So that's like an insane amount of time between seasons. And this was six months after internationally, finally Disney XD actually aired the episodes that June But I remember another frustrating thing that I understand it, but it's still frustrating that they were airing like new episodes of Spectacular Spider-Man coming to Disney XD, but they started with the first season and aired the first season week to week, which makes sense for new viewers, not mad about it, but was frustrating for those of us who were like excited to sit down and watch season two, like not on YouTube and bad quality. And then it's like, oh shit, 13 weeks of the first season before we can even get to that. God damn it. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And just as a fun coincidence, even though it's Disney XD, that was technically before like Disney had all of the intellectual rights. So like even though Disney XD airs all the Marvel shows now, they only were doing airing it at that time just because Disney just happened to, 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 yeah. to buy those distribution rights, which is just a funny coincidence. <laughs> now, speaking of, during the middle of the season's airing, that's when the Walt Disney Company announced that they were going to acquire Marvel. So likely connected to this, like I think like literally the day after they made the announcement, uh, the television rights for Spider-Man were returned to Marvel by Sony. This is the case to this day. This is why Marvel films had that kind of complicated deal with Spidey where they where Sony owns them and they have to like make a deal to have his character in the Avengers movies. But meanwhile, Disney can like do whatever they want with Spider-Man shows and have crossovers just fine because they very specifically own the television rights to Spider-Man, not the film rights. At the time, and I remember keeping up with this news because it was very unnerving. At the sure. time, the president of Marvel Animation, Eric Rallman, 
stated that no decisions have been made either way regarding the fate of Spectacular Spider-Man. And the Spectacular team, they were also in the dark, basically just on this indefinite hiatus, like without a notice of cancellation. They'd already been waiting for a while after the finishing production, had to wait even longer after hearing this weird news about where the rights were. And it was going to be a very long time before anyone actually just like acknowledged that Spectacular Spider-Man like existed as a thing that could be affected. Even though it was doing really well in ratings. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it airs everybody critical acclaim. Everybody who watches it likes it, gets good ratings. The final episode, the the very last like airing of season two was a one hour block. They did the last two episodes back to back. First half, like that first episode, airs great. The very last episode, the SD version, which in 2009, most people were watching in SD. Not as many people had sure. HD. So the majority of people watched it bizarrely without its dialogue track. Disney XD just aired it, like the instrumental version. They just like aired the wrong master of it or something. No one's ever like, I think Greg Weissman has said he doesn't really know how that happens. No one's ever given an answer for why that happened. But people just watched the very last episode, no dialogue in it whatsoever. I have to, um, I'm not sure. I was going to say I have to imagine that's just the one Disney had. But I guess for the reason that they would be making or commissioning promos and stuff, they probably would have a version that didn't have dialogue. Probably. Yeah, I guess so. So I don't, yeah, that's weird. That's but like so how, weird. when in the history of TV have you ever heard of that happening? <laughs> never? <laughs> like, I've never heard of that. Although, remember there was, um the uh, the Mummy trailer came out with like, just cert- like nothing but the sound effects. Do you remember that? Like no music or anything? That's right. With Tom Cruise, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's hap- things like it have happened, but to actually air, so- like, an entire episode, that's sort of bizarre. Yeah. And is there not a way to, like, pull the plug? <laughs> I don't know how any of that works. You'd think. Like, were they really just really not paying any attention whatsoever? Like, so infuriatingly stupid. Weird. But, yeah, so that's that's frustrating, obviously. Finally, in April 2010, so this is months and months and months after the whole like Marvel deal happened that no one had gotten an answer for. That's when Marvel announces publicly that they're going to ma- be making the Ultimate Spider-Man show that was that comes after Spectacular, right? So they're like, hey, we're making this new Spider-Man show. It's in production, going to air on Disney XD. The same day, um, IGN, uh, Eric Goldman on IGN, I remember, was like a, always a really big proponent for Spectacular Spider-Man. So like, as soon as this news would hit, he would be like, okay, I'm going to try to find the answers for everybody because this show's great and I don't want it to die. So he reached out to like Weissman like, the same day, and Weissman's response is so sad because he says, I've heard nothing directly from Marvel, but I think the ultimate Spider-Man announcement makes it fairly clear that Spectacular is over. That type of stuff makes me really angry, like genuinely angry, because there's no reason to not communicate with the people who have a technically in-production show. I know it's not the same thing, but I I remember feeling sort of the same suspense around Power Rangers Hyperforce because it ended and then Power Rangers was sold. And so we were just sort of left wondering and technically we're still left wondering, but we're in the same space where it's like, well, other announcements and lack of news have kind of indicated that it's just dead, I guess. Like, and it just, I don't know why creators should ever be left like that. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Sorry, Greg Weissman. That sucks. Just cancel the damn thing. Like if you really want to cancel it, just at least like let everyone stop wondering for like a year, you know? 
There's another another quote that I pulled, and this is not someone who I think would have like been involved in making the decisions or whatever. But I think just the fact that like no one was in the loop about every anything, even when they were like connected to it, because there's like an old like form spring. Remember form spring? I have no idea what that is. It's just it was just a place where people could like anonymously ask questions. Um, oh. Yeah, I had one for a little while. Okay. So it was an executive editor of Marvel, Tom uh, Brevoort, or Bravert. I'm not sure how you say his last name. Uh, he was asked if he knew anything about it, which, you know, could have could have said nothing. Uh, but what he says was, that was a wonderful cartoon, but finished now. Yeah. So people were like, what? Yeah, finished you... is a choice. Right. That's a, that's, that's a word that's inaccurate. Right. And <laughs> so he was asked for clarification on there and he said, I'm not officially connected to the show, which fair, but he says, so I can't tell you anything officially. The people connected with it will have to do that. Except the people connected with it didn't know anything. Like right. that was the, that's the whole problem. Nobody knew anything. Mm-hmm. Somebody somewhere knew something. Somebody had to make the decision when they were making this deal to look at the properties that were going to be affected and be like, well, we'll not worry about that. But yeah. like they weren't talking and telling anyone that. So about a year later, Weissman kind of broke down exactly what happened that that he all learned after the fact, right? So um, essentially, like kind of what we were talking a little bit about earlier, in exchange for concessions on the movie rights, which is how we have the kind of Spider-Man and Mar- the Marvel MCU now, in exchange for concessions on the movie rights, Sony had relinquished to Marvel its license to produce television works that use Spider-Man and associated characters. But... Sony had still retained ownership of the spectacular Spider-Man series and all production elements created for it, it like character designs and storylines. So therefore, even though Sony owned spectacular Spider-Man and Marvel owned Spider-Man in general, you would require both of those rights at the same time to make the show. So neither of them can continue production. So like, they just they just had to stop. That's why uh, uh, Marvel just made Ultimate Spider-Man wholesale because they could because like that's the only thing they had the rights to do. Um, and I think that's also why like the MTV show, in addition to Sp- Spectacular Spider-Man, is never going to be on Disney Plus because Disney doesn't have the rights to those shows. Even though they have the TV rights to Spider-Man, they just don't have the rights to those specific Spider-Man shows. That's kind of bullshit. That that doesn't seem impossible to overcome. It doesn't. It just doesn't sound like they tried to make it work. Well, but I think that's why that's why it's going to be extremely unlikely to see any continuation until either Disney completely buys out Sony or Sony somehow gets all the TV rights back to Spidey. And like both of those are things that are possibilities, but it, it's going to be a long time. Why can't Sony sell the 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 whatever residual rights they and that's that's the wrong word because that means something I think but like like in this context but whatever like leftover rights they still have to those properties I don't see why um, they can't do that like why can't you sell something you own <laughs> my right I think my guess to that would be that they want to hold on to everything Spider-Man that they have because that means that they're always going to get a cut of that particular Spider-Man thing so like any I assume that any DVD sales of of these shows like they're going to make money for any streaming rights that they sell for it they're going to make money off of. It still doesn't really make sense because they don't really like market these shows ever like right. like they they're not currently streaming they're not the Blu-ray's not in print anymore like the complete series DVD exists and is out there but like I yeah so I but I'm assuming that like they're 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 Mindset is to hold on every hold on to everything Spider Man that they can because that's a thing that they can milk. It's just like then milk it. Then like why don't you do something with well, it? I don't right. understand. And I know I'm being especially consumer minded, but but from where I'm sitting, that doesn't sound like they're protecting an asset so much as just 
holding an asset hostage. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that could be and, the case. No one and no company necessarily has a right to that that thing. But it, like you said, they're not doing anything with it. I mean, I can't imagine sale of spectacular Spider-Man DVDs, certainly not merchandise or the streaming stuff, which has disappeared. It's not anywhere right now, mm-hmm. is making them buku bucks right it's just keeping it out of disney's hands which again i'm being consumer minded not business minded um so that's where that sort of impression comes from but like i don't know as just a consumer i'm like annoyed by that yep it's it's very frustrating and it feels like breaking it down like that it's it's like everyone has said that it's going to be impossible but it does feel like no, you literally just like you yeah, just no. have to do like one it's thing. It's not impossible. That's the wrong word. Yeah. <laughs> impossible versus unwilling. Like we yeah. can acknowledge that Sony's unwilling to let it go. That's fine. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. It yeah. just means they won't do it. <laughs> I think there's like there's definitely a possibility. I think that there's a likelihood really because like because the Disney Sony thing has been going on for so long and has been in the public that like event one day something bad will happen to Sony and Disney will just be able to buy them. <laughs> like, I th- I think that that's entirely possible. I think the question then is sort of like, okay, but even if all these rights end up somehow in the right place, like that's step one. Step two is convincing an executive or executives right. that m- making a third season of Spectacular Spider-Man is worth it. And that's a hurdle in and of itself. I don't um, even think I'm talking about that. I think all I'm talking about from a, con- like, again, a consumer standpoint is like, a distribution method that actually makes sense for consumers, which would be to put it on Disney plus, you know what I mean? That would make the most sense or just have it somewhere that is, is consistent or stable, which isn't a dig at crackle, but like we accidentally found out it was on crackle and then accidentally found it wasn't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just, this isn't even coming from a place of hoping for a renewal. It's just, I don't want it locked up in a vault. That's obnoxious. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yep. So, well, whatever. Yep. Just a couple of other f- fun notes about even the legacy of the show is just like cursed. Like as a f- nice twist of the knife, Josh Keaton got to like reprise his role as Spider-Man in a couple episodes of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Um, cool. I think there might have been some crossover with writers that like like Spectacular Spider-Man. So you could even be like, oh, maybe they're in the same universe or whatever. So he did that. But like after he recorded all of those all of those episodes that he was in during production, Disney was like, we have this new Spider-Man show that just went into production, though. We want to have some synergy. So can we get our new Spider-Man to like be in your show instead. So Drake Bell was brought in, recorded all of Josh Keaton's lines like separately and after the fact. And Keaton said that he didn't find out about that until after the episodes aired. I was understanding until that last part. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Why wouldn't you just let him know? Like doesn't cost you anything other than time it takes to make that phone call. Yep. Clearly it was within their right to do it. So it's not like you're going to get much of an argument or a fight. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it. So, gosh, that's so frustrating. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Maybe Disney's the bad guy? I, weird. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> that's no surprise coming from our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, and this is just a, just a fun thing. Uh, then it, it ran like 2013. Uh, like Saban. You remember that the Vortex block that was on the CW that Saban did? I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. So they, they're they like, hey, we're going to air Spectacular Spider-Man reruns. And it's like, oh, wow. The first time it's been on TV in a few years. People will see it. The block ended a year after Spectacular Spider-Man uh, started Super. airing there. So it's like, who cursed this show? Like, who was so... Who like who pissed off whom 
to be like, let this is just good. Everything that this show touches, it's like the best show in the world that just destroys everything around it somehow. Like, why? I don't understand. I don't. I don't it's so frustrating. I don't know. Like you said, Parker Luck, it's just, I guess it's baked in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what Ultimate and, you know, Spider-Man did to break that, but we, I guess we'll find out eventually. <laughs> yep. 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 Well, yeah. So that's pretty much the whole hit, the whole terrible history of, of what went down with this show, um, which we're just never going to talk about for the rest of the season because it's depressing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than just being like, why did this end? But yeah, so that's out of the way. Though This is still a really good season of TV that oh, I'm I don't doubt it. so excited to like embark on and I'm really pumped to stop talking about all that stuff and talk about this stuff. So um, <laughs> if you would like to watch along with us and you absolutely should because the show is great, um, it's not streaming anywhere anymore, unfortunately, but it is available uh, on DVD. You can buy the complete series on DVD for, for, for relatively cheap, honestly. The Blu-ray is also really good, but it's unfortunately out of print, so it's pretty expensive to find one of those. But if you can find it, you should definitely get your hands on it because it is a quality Blu-ray. But uh, And you can also like purchase it digitally on, on pretty much any <laughs> digital platform. Really making the most of those uh, distribution rights there, Sony. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So the episode we're talking about is The Spectacular Spider-Man, Season 2, Episode 1, entitled Blueprints. This synopsis per IMDb, strap in for this one. I think all of them this season are pretty bad. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, IMDb. says, Peter feels miserable as he can't square his many ambitions and responsibilities, but will suddenly get professional breaks from both newspaper and lab. Spider-Man faces a new challenge, Mysterio, who claims to fight the evil effects of technology and seems to perform magic with Latin spells. Spidey finds out neither is quite true, but not who is behind him. Okay. The- All right. Well, there are some <laughs> falsehoods in there. <laughs> the international air date. So the, the first time that this aired internationally was on January 11th, 2009. The U.S. air date that we all saw, it was in June 22nd, 2009. It was written by Greg Weissman and Kevin Hopps. We've talked about both of them. Weissman extensively. He's the uh, co-creator of the show. He, uh, we talked about it on episode 12, our episode 12, rather. And uh, we talked about Hops on episode 13. And same with Jennifer Coyle. We talked about her on our episode 16. She directed the episode. So just kind of our heavy hitters starting off the season here. Super. We do get two characters worth mentioning as far as being introduced or spotlighted in this episode. One of them we already mentioned is Mysterio. And it is not really a surprise that that is Quentin Beck because we saw Quentin Beck last season so we kind of assumed he would be coming back in this capacity Uh, this Mysterio is voiced by Xander Berkeley he's done a bit of everything he's done movies he's done tv animation live action voice work a little bit of everything he got started and still does but got started starring in like guest starring in single episodes of like a ton of big name television shows in the 80s and 90s so things like MASH the A-Team Twilight Zone Miami Vice X-Files Nash Bridges ER sounds like the that kind of guy that like you would look at the resume and be like, oh, you like starred in an episode of CSI or you starred in an episode of X-Files. You know what I mean? Like those yeah. types of folks. Mm-hmm. And he had a regular role in the first couple seasons of 24 as George Mason and Nikita as Percy. Mm-hmm. And he portrayed Gregory in later seasons of The Walking Dead. I didn't get that far, so I don't know who that is. <laughs> Me I did watch Nikita, though. That was a pretty good show, actually. I knew some folks who were really into it, but I never watched it. 
Yeah, yeah. It was way better than I expected it to be. He also portrayed Todd Voigt in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which I included just for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And other voice work he's done includes some for Gargoyles, uh, Ah, Real Monsters, and he was the mayor in 2003's Spider-Man, which we haven't talked about yet, but always fun noting that folks have done more than one Spider-Man property. And he's done voices across a bunch of DC animated properties, kind of similar to his live action stuff where he's you know, a voice for an episode, but across a bunch of episodes or a bunch of series. So that's Xander Berkeley. The other guy we're introduced to in this episode is Miles Warren. And if that sounds familiar, hmm. it's because this guy is voiced by the same person who voices Aaron Warren, who is the teacher at the high school that we've mm-hmm. talked about, but never in depth because he's always just sort of been there, but never featured. Miles Warren is featured. So now we're going to talk about this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Miles Warren and Aaron Warren are voiced by Brian George. Um, he's one of those guys that I think everybody could look at a picture of and be like, I know him from something. I kind of had the same reaction. I was like, I know this guy. And then as I looked into things, I was like, of course, that's why I know this guy. Very recently, he portrayed the father of Raj on Big Bang Theory and the father of the lead character in NBC's short-lived I Feel Bad. Um, he's the Sultan in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. He plays the father of Julian Bashir in Deep Space Nine. And uh, for all the Seinfeld heads out there, he portrayed Babu Bhatt in, in Seinfeld. Ah. He's also voiced a ton of characters in DC Animated Properties including Batman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, Justice League, Green Lantern, Beware the Batman, and like pretty much any DC series you could think of from like the past 20 years. Notably, Alfred Pennyworth in 2016's Killing Joke and the Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie and Hugo Strange in Batman Strange Days. So, yeah. If none of that like clicked in your head, literally just look up Brian George and be like, oh yeah, that guy. I know him from something. (laughs) Yep, he pops up in so much stuff. Yeah, he's a recognizable <laughs> guy. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the two folks we're going to be introduced to. Now, other than that, I think we've covered everything we need to before we talk about the episode. Yeah, finally. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. So, this episode opens with Spider-Man swinging around the city and reflecting on his kiss with Gwen Stacy, which happened at the very end of the first season. Uh, as he begins to wonder if his inability to react to the kiss means that Gwen is, quote, the one, he lands on a rooftop and is attacked by Venom, who attempts to rejoin with Spidey, which is strange because that shouldn't be happening the way that (laughs) things turned out. So uh, Venom's tendrils start beginning to, like, engulf him in his sort of confusion and, and fear. He trips over the side of the roof, starts plummeting to the ground, and then wakes up. Because he's actually asleep and it's all a nightmare and he falls off of his bed. And when he hits the floor, that jerks him awake. So yeah. it was all a dream. It's it's truly wild to me that the show has no recaps considering how densely plotted and continuity heavy it is. Um, I was kind of expecting a previously on The Spectacular Spider-Man, if yeah. only for the first episode of this season. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess they, 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 they hit the important pieces just in this one dream sequence because it's literally like, wow, all the things that happened to me in the previous episode, I need to think and talk about that. Like, and mm-hmm. that's, that's it. So, I mean, like it works out. It's good exposition if you're, if you're, you know, in place of a recap, I guess. It's just so surprising that, like, this show of all shows doesn't have one. <laughs> well, and this show is well-written enough. And I think we probably talked about this when we talked about the first season. Well-written enough that it reminds you of things along the way. 
Yeah, just yeah, that's by true. characters talking about events or you know inner monologue stuff or whatever. So you know it it is strange because it's so dense, but they they kind of cover their butts by by just writing things well in that regard. Yeah, I also love that it right off the bat, like it's very clear that Peter is still dealing with some kind of trauma from Venom and the Symbiote. And oh, how for sure. Complex that was, and I think even like when gonna gets a little a little line in either this one or the one after it. I think it's this one referencing, you know, refer- like that makes it clear that she's also like not totally healed from a, the terrifying experience, mm-hmm. which I like a lot. And it gives the proper gravity to all that stuff that happened at the end of the season because it was very uh, scary stuff going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Also, this is where the I believe this is where the opening credits cuts in. Like, I think it cuts out at mm-hmm. Peter's dream. And I think the thing that I, a thing that I liked that this season does is that every episode, the credits like spotlight different characters. Mm-hmm. I did notice that. Yeah. And my my theory, too, I, didn't, I never really gave it a lot of thought. It's just like, oh, they're just like the important characters of the episode. But I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's more the characters that either have something important happen to them or make a major impact on Peter and like his growth one way or another. Cause like this episode spotlights Gwen, Liz and Norman Mm -hmm. and like Norman doesn't necessarily have like his own character development or anything, but he does like make decisions that like directly and, and will theoretically greatly impact like Peter's kind of life or arc going forward. Yeah. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to track throughout the season, like who they choose to spotlight. Yeah, I mean, having only watched two episodes of this season, that sounds about right so far. <laughs> yeah. Only a small sample size, but I buy it. <laughs> yeah. I just love, uh, I love, you know, I love like opening credit stuff and I haven't been able to talk about it because no shows have really had done a lot of interesting stuff with them. But I love like, I love any show that like changes something every episode and it's such a fun, it's just such a, I love that, that it's like shows how the show embraces its ensemble like how every all the like there's nobody that's just a background character on this show like everybody Mm -hmm. in peter's orbit like is a fleshed out character that's important and i think this this is one of those things that like if the show had gone on this season i would that would have just been such a little detail that i would have loved to see like what other characters are going to get added added to the credits this season for a couple episodes you know like who's going to be kind of upgraded to like series regular essentially it's such a it's such a fun I know, it's just such a fun thing that it does. It's so unique to this show. Yeah. No, I, I dig that too. I think it's it's fun to keep track of. Mm-hmm. So freaked out, Peter suits up and he checks on Eddie because he's like, I got to make sure that 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 was in fact a dream, that I can trust that that was just a nightmare. And so he goes to Eddie's dorm room and he finds that Eddie is totally gone. He says he packed up everything but his roommate and he left. And Spider-Man wonders like where he could have gone to because he doesn't know. Yep, I love this. I love the snow effect that this show does. I noticed that right from this first scene. I was worried about it. I'm not gonna lie, but it it, it does a good job making sure that it balances the snow with whatever is happening on screen. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like a consistent density of snow for every single scene where snow is. And that's what I was worried about because that can get really annoying, to be quite yeah. honest, to yeah. have like a filter like that over the entire episode. So right. um, I'm glad that they're really intentional about how they do that. It it ends up integrating itself really well. Yeah. Like this scene, it's perfect because it's kind of like it's meant to be a sort of like creepy, unnerving scene where and it's like literally like Peter's literally like trying to figure out. What's a dream and what's a real right now? Like it sort of makes sense to have that sort of obscured filter over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so no, yeah, I agree. They're they're very smart about how they use it. 
And when he's the only character on screen and in costume and at night, it can be heavier than when you have multiple characters on screen, no one's in a costume, you know, and like it's during the day. So like, yeah, it's, it's managed well and balanced well. And I appreciate that. Mm hmm. Yeah, so the next morning, Spidey attempts to put his suit over Long John's because, like we said, it's snowing and cold in New York. Uh, but it doesn't work because it's, <laughs> it's it's just bunched up Long John's under his under you know skin tight tights, so he just looks like a big pile of mush. I love that they address this. So good. I've never seen that. I don't. I mean, I, maybe it's been in the comics at one time or another, but I nothing sure. that I've ever seen or read have ever addressed this. Like, how does he not freezing? Acknowledge the fact that he's wearing like a single layer of the fabric over himself in the snow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In in New York, where it is uh-huh. can be very very cold. <laughs> So, yeah, so he adds buying thermal underwear to his to-do list, which we hear the full extent of this to-do list, which is (laughs) talking to Gwen, finding Eddie, writing to Harry, and taking care of Aunt May. Because as we remember, she did have a heart attack towards the end of last season. Mm -hmm. So downstairs, right as he's kind of trying to to make that to-do list and, and think about taking care of Aunt May, he sees her making pancakes. Why are they not wheat cakes? Why are they still not wheat cakes? This is... This is the greatest offense and maybe the only offense that the show commits. Or wheat cakes. Or this is something that they were saving for the series finale of the show as a big final, like, final unveiling. Like, not only does Peter, like, I don't know, graduate or whatever or get married to somebody. And Aunt May is like, Peter, I found this great recipe for wheat cakes. Like, oh, my God, these are the best things I've ever had. They're my favorite food now and that's how the show closes mm, i think they just thought wheat cakes didn't sound cool enough yeah. and i take issue with that i mean who eats <laughs> wheat cakes though to be fair like whole you... wheat pancakes are delicious <laughs> i don't know if i've ever had a, had a whole wheat pancake i'll have to try it but yeah so he wants to stop her because of that recent heart attack and she's like literally just making pancakes peter chill the fuck out and he's like no i'm gonna do it and then he just makes a mess which is is probably going to (laughs) give her another heart attack by flipping pancakes on the ceiling you weirdo she even jokes as much so she doesn't know if her heart can handle watching him cook which we know is true because he tried cooking in the finale of last season i think think it was the finale yeah Mm -hmm. yeah didn't work out (laughs) nope so at school, Peter does find Gwen and he tries to talk to her to knock off that first to-do list item, but the bell rings before they can say anything to each other. So awkward moment between Gwen and Peter, number one. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere on a dock, two workers are approached by a supervisor. One is named Stan. <laughs> it is Stan Lee in his first cameo in this show. Maybe only cameo. I actually honestly don't remember. So it'll be cool to see if he shows up again. But either way, Stan Lee is there, named Stan as a dock worker. And Looking he's told, like Stan, sounding like Stan. Uh-huh. 100% Stan. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, he's told to let ESU know that their new computer equipment has arrived. But before he can respond, Mysterio appears to, and I quote, to save the world from the evils of technology corrupting the human spirit. Cool. cool man. Okay, nerd. Um, <laughs> Stan's response to this, like, are we being punked? I hate that. 
which is <laughs> funny to me because not only is, you know, it's a very like of the time reference, but it's also like the way that he says it is, is as if that's happened to him multiple times before. <laughs> <laughs> I love this universe where Stanley is punked over and over and sick of it. Ashton Kutcher just like has just a complete obsession with like with pranking Stanley. <laughs> So I'm weird. sorry, punking Stanley. <laughs> Punked is probably going to be one of the the sort of vernacular words that that people our age and then like a few years older and a few years younger will probably continue to use as a reference that no one will understand. Yeah, it's like, like um, just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like like how the save icon is a floppy disk, but there's definitely lots of people that oh. are alive now that have no have never seen a floppy disk in their lives. I have explained to many people what that icon is. It's so wild. <laughs> it's so funny. Love yep. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Mysterio does appear to have some kind of powers because he uses some like crazy Latin phrases uh, and forces the workers to kneel down. Like it makes it like he does his little Latin spell and it like it looks like that the workers are getting weak, like they have been commanded to go to sleep or, or like kind of pass out or or just feel generally weak. So they have to like kneel down and then he disappears with a bunch of large shipping crates. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think he's literally telling them to sleep. He is, like I know so, it's Latin, but Spanish is the same. Not as Latin, but like that verb is. I have a fun, fun thing for you because all of this Latin all the Latin is – and you're right. He's just saying the Latin word for sleep. Mm-hmm. The thing about this episode is that some of the Latin is what he's saying as if he was saying a spell like sleep or I think it's like spiders later or something like that um, or even like lightning or whatever. Yeah. A lot of them when it's a longer phrase is are just non sequiturs. Lorem ipsum something something like you would put on a fake newspaper. <laughs> they are real phrases if you translate oh, okay. them, or at least like the best translation that you could have. Um, so some of them, I'm just going to, li- I don't remember where all of these are, but it doesn't matter. Some of the things he says are, I have finally found an effective diet. Beautiful. I believe Elvis is alive. Oh. Thank you for not smoking. Oh, agreed. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. Okay, okay. And the one that he says in the end, you're in for a world of hurt. That is actually the Latin that he was saying for that as well. I think those, yeah, those are all the main ones, um, which is still, you know, it's funny. They were just having fun (laughs) with it. I dig that. Yeah. It it makes sense that longer phrases would be easier to pull that off with. Yeah. Yep. So back at school, Gwen and Peter share some glances in class and Mary Jane looks on and is like, into it because we know that Mary Jane ships Peter and Gwen and Liz <laughs> Allen looks on and does not ship Peter and Gwen because she still likes Peter. So after class in the hall, when Peter begins to make a move towards speaking with Gwen, Liz Allen sort of like intercepts and is like, Oh, Peter. Oh, hi. Um, I wonder if like, maybe you could tutor me more. And Peter's like, uh, yeah, I guess. Cause he's awkward. And then Liz takes his arm and walks away before Peter can say, even a word to Gwen again. Uh. <laughs> so we can see where this is going. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of a thousand times that something like this happens in this single episode. Super. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So elsewhere, now on a bridge, which Mysterio was on a bridge a lot. Like mm-hmm. most, all, most times that we've seen him. Um, but now on a bridge, Mysterio appears and terrorizes a bunch of folks with a flying serpent. 
This time, Spidey arrives, though. So Mysterio does that same, like, sleep spell to make Spider-Man also, like, get weak and kneel. Um, and then he approaches him with a, with a, uh, oh, God, I play D&D and I always say this wrong. I've heard, I always say scimitar, but I've been told that that's wrong, but I don't know, remember what? the right way to say it. I've never heard anyone say it in any way other than scimitar. Well, then at least it's a common way to say it. So I'm going to say scimitar. So maybe the person who told me Don't it was wrong was wrong. correct us because we're clearly correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he approaches him with a scimitar. But uh, Spidey musters enough strength to web the scimitar away. Mysterio responds with a bolt of lightning, sending Spidey flying into an armored truck, which is driven by, I think, Greg Weissman voices the uh, the driver, which is I was wondering because I saw Greg Weissman credited – as a voice, but I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, well, this two, he's one of two characters in this episode, actually, hilariously. Um, the driver is drawn to kind of look like like how he's drawn, well, I mean, mm-hmm. to look like him, um, like how he would be in this, in this yeah. version. And then the other one's just a character, um, so it's just kind of funny. So Mysterio then, like, lifts this truck with his magic and tosses it into the river below, which is, you know, terrifying because there's a guy in it. Mm-hmm. So Spidey... Has to jump after the truck while Mysterio disappears. Um, he is able to save the driver, even though it's obviously like freezing in the water because it's still like snowy outside. And uh, because of that, he very quickly gains a gnarly cold. Mm-hmm. A couple things about this. One, Mysterio makes a note that Spider-Man seems to be able to resist his spell uh, more than other folks have which I think is worth noting given what we learned later mm-hmm. and given something that we learned in the 1981 version of Spider-Man, which I will remind everybody of when we get to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, second thing, Scimitar and the positioning of Mysterio and Spider-Man. What was Mysterio about to do? Chop Spider-Man's head off? Like, what the fuck? What's that? Yeah, like, and g- given that like, was given, fucked up. <laughs> given his characterization, well, I don't know. It's hard to say because it's was sort he of like do? right because <laughs> it, it's it's sort of weird because like his characterization. This he doesn't really seem to be like out for blood any times. But then as right. I say that, it's sort of like he did just toss a truck with a dude in it into the water. So well, maybe he would be capable of murder. But like I don't. I, I think the truck thing makes more sense because. Like the scimitar, I don't understand at all. But the truck thing, we do find out that the contents of the truck are missing. So I think it's just a matter of like Mysterio knew that Spider-Man would prioritize the person in the truck and then leave the truck. That's true. So I think that's probably – I don't think he was trying to kill the truck guy because we see that in other Spider-Man media. Villains know that Spider-Man's going to save people. Mm -hmm. So I think think some villains can sort of like get away with their – shitty actions or murderous actions because they know they have like the spider-man fail safe so i think that might have been what that was but i the scimitar dude what hopefully that was fake (laughs) yeah i mean he's also like makes a big deal later about being an actor so he might have just been playing out the whole thing and wouldn't have actually chopped his head off he would have like just stopped and poofed away or something like that you know i really hope so yeah, like he was just maybe he was just he was probably just being a drama queen like yep. he often is. <laughs> and then the third thing about this scene, one of the last episodes that we talked about on this show was a 1981 episode where Spider-Man has an allergy problem throughout the whole episode. 
And I really, really took issue with like the stuffy voice that they used for the whole episode. <laughs> so when Spider-Man emerges from this water and sneezes, I was like, no. No, we're not doing this again. <laughs> Luckily, they don't do it. <laughs> yeah, like he's he doesn't sneezing. do a stuffy voice. He just relies on the sneezing to remind us that he has a cold. <laughs> yeah, and it only happens in like one or two scenes. Like it yeah. doesn't. It's not. Yeah. It's not super constant. So, yeah, yeah. This is how you do uh, it right. This is how you do it right, you. guys, in a not annoying way. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, and Eric. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. So later, the next day, I think we're to understand, at least based on who's present in the setting, which looks to be like either the cafeteria or a lounge at the school, uh, Peter meets up with Liz Allen for their tutoring session. She has a copy of The Bugle that is featuring the encounter between Spider-Man and Mysterio and features one of Peter's photos of the incident. So she's like, that's pretty cool. Peter, though, complains to her about the bugle blaming Spider-Man, which is no real surprise. But he also wonders aloud how Spider-Man is supposed to stop a sorcerer. And it's good that Liz is, like, working on homework because for not being Spider-Man, Peter seems really (laughs) upset (laughs) about this coverage and the situation. So I'm glad she's distracted because you're being very obvious right now, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, Liz has this really good insight. Where she says, basically, like, don't worry, because, like, I know all about magician stuff. I think she says, like, her uncle was or knew a magician or something like that Mm -hmm. and used to take her behind the scenes all the time. And she basically just says, like, sorcerers aren't real. It's all about smoke and mirrors and misdirection. Um, And it's all just a trick, basically, which is a good thing for him to hear. But also what she says next is just a good thing for, like a theme of this episode, Mm -hmm. which is you wind up paying attention to one thing when you should be paying attention to another theme of the episode. Also devastating for the scene because we cut to Gwen sitting at a table behind them being very sad, watching them interact. (laughs) (sighs) We know this already, Peter. We thought, or at least we thought we were being told that maybe you were starting to get it at the end of the last season because like we complained about not seeing Gwen enough, but then recognized that it was all just like you not paying attention to Gwen enough. Pay attention to Gwen, you dumb, stupid, 
idiot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's be- I think it's become clear that that is a character trait for Peter that he like learns things but takes a very long time to process those things. Like it's oh a very consistent gosh. with him. And yeah, I do th- and it's realistic, so it's fine, but it's like god damn it, dude. <laughs> it's very frustrating, like like uh, intentionally so. And I do think it's still inter- it's still different because he is thinking about Gwen. Like he's a, he's like more aware than he was in the last season and in a different way. Right. Like I think he generally learned at the end of last season to like pay attention to his friends in general and that like he needs to actually like care for the people that are in his life. And we know that he's trying to do that from the top of the episode. Like at least in his head, like his half of his actually like his whole to-do list is like finding like some way to reach out to his friends, Mm -hmm. you know? It's so just like, a matter of how he executes that now, right? So, like, he right. learned the lesson of paying attention to them and recognizing them and, like, like letting himself let them in, but he just doesn't know how to do it yet. Right, that. And also, you know, there is – I think, like, Liz is being, like, aggressive about, you know, trying to to, to, to court with him. So I, and that's that's a factor that he's never had to deal with before. And and I and it's sort of, like, it's frustrating and it does drive me nuts where it's just sort of, like, maybe Gwen's the one. Oh, is Liz interested in me? Hmm. And it's like, dude, oh, my God, you just thought – what are you doing? But, like, I get it because she is someone that, like – He's he has shown interest in before and like he is going to probably be looking at differently than he would Gwen simply because she's like Gwen is like his best friend from childhood yeah. and Liz is someone that like was previously un- seemed to be unattainable that now seems to be a, a, like obtainable. Like it makes a lot of sense that it's going to be a lot more of a roadblock for a horny 16 year old like well, dealing with these feelings, you know, not even just that, but there's also the, the added confusion of maybe Gwen is the one versus Liz Allen is expressly showing interest in me right now right here no confusion whatsoever right that's you know, a good like, point it 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 makes sense as a distraction but it's frustrating nonetheless because he does go from like maybe gwen is the one to oh hi liz allen yeah it's <laughs> like oh i get it you're you're a young teenage boy and you're stupid but good lord <laughs> yeah and i think you know this episode does a good job about always putting these barriers up where it's sort of like maybe they'll start to talk and then they get and then there's a distraction yeah. or something like that or something cutting them off but i do think that like like gwen isn't isn't doing anything wrong but no. i do think that like well. there is a character <laughs> there is there is a character flaw here where it's sort of like she's very good about sticking up for other people but she is apparently very bad about sticking up for herself because she could take some initiative and fucking talk to peter too like i yeah. understand that she made the initial initiative and was waiting for him to respond and then he never did that's a terrible situation to be into it's like the equivalent of being ghosted except like you could see them macking on someone in right in front of you like he's not actually hooked up with liz or anything but that's probably what it feels like right Mm -hmm. but i think part of like being in that situation if you have enough confidence which i i don't think that she does unfortunately uh, at least like self-confidence and like her herself i i think like if you do you're going to be like hey i did this thing can you can you tell me what's going on can we just like clear out the you know clear the air um but instead she is being completely passive and that is a mistake that she's making right yeah. now well and i think that i mean that that's illustrated even just in the next scene a little bit obviously not as complexly complexly as you described it but it it shouldn't be given that these are like teenagers trying to figure themselves out sure um but mary jane sits down next to gwen mary jane superstar superpower 
empath, right? And asks her what's up. And Gwen tells her, like, I kissed Peter. And then, like, very, I think, <laughs> in a funny way, like, says it and then immediately, like, puts her head down on the table, like, stupid. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's so like, sad. oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but MJ's like, no, that's great. That's awesome. Like, how did Peter feel about it? And Gwen, of course, is like, I have no idea. Like, I ran away and Peter hasn't said anything to me, um, which, you know, it, it, it kind of illustrates exactly the dilemma that we're talking about, which is Peter can't seem to get to Gwen and Gwen can't seem to get to Peter. They just can't get themselves out of whatever their respective situations are to just connect. So yeah, um, it, it's illustrated really well in this, this scene. And as frustrating as it is, I think more frustrating from Peter because he's like our protagonist and we're supposed to root for him in a very particular way. And so we are then critical of him in a very particular way. Also frustrating a little bit to see from Gwen's perspective. Yeah. But she seems to get the frustration a little better than Peter does. So easier to sort of relate or or sympathize. Like Peter isn't really being like affected by it as negatively as like he's not letting that be like some kind of weird like it's not it's not affecting his confidence or anything at all. But like Gwen, it's actually making her feel bad because it's like, oh, God, I mess. I feel like I messed something up. And like Peter is just sort of like. I don't really know what to do next. It's like, yeah. uh, you're hurting someone, dude. You don't even see that. But it's so realistic to like how teenagers operate. So totally, totally, totally. makes sense. I will say I really like I really like this little um, exchange between MJ and Gwen. I was a little confused because MJ obviously learns about the kiss here in this conversation. But like at the very beginning of the episode, when we first see MJ with Gwen, they're talking and you overhear her being like, like, oh, he's just a little confused and then sees Peter. And then it's sort of like, OK, I'll let you guys be alone and leaves, which I it took to mean that she knew about the kiss or that Gwen was talking to her a little bit. But then the way she approaches Gwen in this scene, it's a sort of like, hey, I've noticed something and now I'm finally going to ask you about it, which. But MJ has been shipping them already, right? Like she's not unaware of the fact that those two have like a gravity towards each other. So I don't think it's. I don't think it has to be about the kiss initially. That's true. That first conversation. I don't know that it, that's it, – it could have been a mistake though. Like I think it, it it just as easily could go either way. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't affect things very much. It's right. not a big deal. It was just something that I noticed on, on rewatch. It's like well, that's weird. I mean the problem with it is that it, it, it gives everybody – not everybody, but it gives enough people probably the same reaction because I kind of had the same reaction being like, oh, they're talking about what happened, right? Yeah. But it just doesn't have to be that, I guess. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yep. This next scene, though, I have so much to say. Oh, my God. Yeah, go for it. Dude. Okay. So we cut to an entirely different group of folks. So it's later that evening, and it's at the Osborne's place. We're in that same dining dining area that we've seen before, the long table, Norman on one side, his wife on the other. What is her name, by the way? I forget. Em- Emily. Thank you, Emily. So Norman's on one side, Emily's on the other, um, but they're joined by the doctors, Connor. and two other folks one is mr warren the teacher that we know and another person who is miles warren who we haven't met yet right like we not even like a cameo or anything no i think he's been he's been mentioned mr warren mentioned that he had a brother but i think that's the extent of it gotcha so we get we get his brother now interesting (laughs) i i distinctly remember us talking about how Mr. Warren was uh, one of many people of color that they seem to have intentionally put into this show. Uh And this doesn't negate that, but I do find it interesting that his brother, who's voiced by the same person, appears in a cartoon, worth noting, but appears to be like a white guy with red hair. Yeah, this does not mean that they're not they're not people of color. You know, you can be siblings and look vastly different, have the exact same parentage. But it is funny that like his brother just looks like him 
without hair. I can't remember which one has hair and which one um, does. Mr. Warren has is bald, and then okay. Miles is yeah. Uh, so his yeah. that's right. Miles is a younger brother. So his his younger brother just looks exactly like him, but with hair and a different skin tone and different hair color. <laughs> yeah, it's it is it's a little it's a little well, and like the brow like the brow is different because you know he's drawn to be a little more of like um. Like he's not like yeah. a sinister looking character, but he's definitely more in the direction of looking like a sinister character. He makes you raise your eyebrow a little bit a few times over the course of these episodes. Uh, so yeah, you, you're meant to wonder for sure. Yeah, but yeah, the the race thing is weird. But you know, it's also at least like the the more villainous brother is the white is like the whiter one, which is realistic. Can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, it's also yeah, but and like you said, they it it's it's there's a million ways you could explain it. Like they could have like mixed parents or something like that too who knows but it's yeah. it is definitely a strange choice considering like the push for diversity on this show but not a huge deal like ultimately. i assume it's simply meant to distinguish them as characters that are related and look similar but i don't know like there's a million ways you can explain it and a million ways you could have done it not yeah. really a criticism just an interesting note and not the most interesting thing to note from this scene so <laughs> yep Kurt expresses excitement that Miles Warren will be joining their team at ESU, and Martha expresses appreciation at the funding that will come with Miles' reputation. So they kind of, like, Kurt is excited that they have this, like, sort of famous scientist. And Martha, who has always been a bit more reasonable and pragmatic, I think, Mm -hmm. in this series especially, is like, this will be great for the lab. Like, this will be great for what we can accomplish. So she states, like, I would love to use our increased funding to rehire Eddie Brock. But she says, like, Shoot, I can't find him. Oh my though. god, that's a bummer. It's like even when even when people want Eddie Brock for a job, he can't hold a job. Like, <laughs> oh my yes. god, dude. Exactly. So this, I mean, Miles mentions that he's bringing his own intern. So we're watching and like, oh, interesting. I wonder who that could be. We will find out. But at the moment, he's just mentioned like, I'm bringing my own intern. So don't worry about it. Like, we'll have somebody. The conversation then turns to Gwen and Peter. I think Mr. Warren asks because they're his students. So Martha says, Gwen is great. Like, we love Gwen. And Mr. Warren's like, but what about Peter? Here's the thing. Martha says, Peter and us had trust issues, which is true. And we did see that, like, she has a lot of agency in this show in a great way. She very much seems like the actual manager of the lab, whereas, like, Kurt seems like the sort of kooky, passionate scientist that like she sort of has to manage. Mm -hmm. And so her concern is like, we need good people that we can trust so that I can manage this lab in a way that makes sense. So that's a legit concern. She brings this up and then every single man at the table in a row basically brings up something about Peter that is like great or like, dismisses her concern and so then like she turns to the only other woman present who happens to be emily osborne who we've never seen speak or move out of that chair she only ever just saws her meat Every right. every time we see her, she's sawing meat. And they even like I feel like it's an intentional, like almost a weird joke thing here. Because she that they repeat like they don't cycle animation much on the show, but yeah. she is just doing that sawing motion for such a long time. It's like, take a bite, lady. What are you mm-hmm. doing? What are you, are you a robot? I don't understand. I think all <laughs> she does is cut that steak. <laughs> it's all she does. It's so but, funny. But naturally, you know, sh- this, this This doctor, (laughs) Martha Connors, is expressing a legitimate concern 
from a pragmatic place, recognizing we could hire trustworthy people who are skilled. And all the dudes are like, no, but his mind. She turns to the only other woman who has literally no voice, so gets no response. And then I think if she doesn't actually sigh, you can fill in the blank. And then goes... All right, Peter's reinstated. And I'm just like, God damn it, Martha, you deserve so much better than what you're getting right now. Uh-huh. This is so annoying. Like, she's the one making sense, you guys. Yes, we're supposed to root for Peter. We want Peter's success. But Martha is correct. <laughs> uh, no, it's infuriating. And all of you guys are dicks right now. <laughs> yeah, she's sitting at a table where, like, ha- literally half the people at the table, like, in the comics are supervillains. And it's like... <laughs> And she just has to just like go with it. Like, oh, uh, it's so it's so infuriating. And, and in this iteration, she is one of the doctors in the lab. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, she's not just like happenstance Kurt Connor's wife who's like, he seems like a nice boy. Like, no, she's the logical one, and they're the ones like, but he's so enthusiastic and his brain is so good. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was yeah, like, like oh, he almost damn. destroyed our family. So like <laughs> can right? we not? <laughs> right? And like this is not this is not a mistake of the writing. It feels like very very much exactly what it is and you and and they don't shy away from from giving her a moment of feeling frustrated. Yeah. So I appreciate it for what it is and I'm so frustrated in universe with everyone sitting at that table. Uh-huh. <laughs> God, I love Martha. She's I love her She's so much. She's so good. She deserves oh so much better. <laughs> so for real. For real. Oh yeah, yeah. It's great. I'm never going to forget this moment. Yep. Yep. Oh man. Yeah, well, the conversation basically ends when Norman receives a call and excuses himself from the table. Uh, we cut to Oscorp, where this this is the other character that Greg Weissen plays. Um, the character's name, I don't know if he's given the name in this episode, but it is Donald Mankin, who is a character yes. from the comics. Well, that's the name I saw in the credits at the end of the episode. Yeah. I was like, who the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he's just like the red, like a, the redhead dude who's like, sure. who's like Osborne's assistant. So yeah, gotcha. he's he is a character right from the comics. Um um, and I think he's always just Osborne's like Oscorp assistant <laughs> person. He's been in the movies too. He was the guy that. Um, That's why it sounds familiar. Yeah, um, I think he was in. I think he was like one. I think he was in the first Spider-Man movie, but he's definitely in. He's in the amazing, uh, amazing because that's sure. the one that B.J. Novak plays. Plays is Donald Mankin. Yeah. But anyway, you know, the show always likes just throwing in every character, even in small roles, which is fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Greg Weissman voices him. But anyway, they're at Oscorp uh, and they're calling him because uh, Mysterio is standing atop some sort of like techie looking chamber things. I don't know. I don't know what, what they're supposed to be. There's some no kind idea. of idea. Some technology that's big. Um, that's all that matters. And uh, <laughs> he's confronted by two guards who does the same sleep spell on and uh, three backup guards he to deal with them he traps them with more of his flying serpents so he claims their technology stands no chance against him which like just means guns i guess yeah i guess so it's the only technology they have but it's also a grander statement so yeah whatever mysterio in any case spider-man appears and in this case mysterio responds with a new spell that conjures a swarm of bat-like creatures they they kind of look like bats from afar, but when you get a closer look, they kind of have like a full body. 
So they're kind of like cherubs, but demonic almost. They're like they're like little baby gargoyles. <laughs> yeah, they're like little baby gargoyles. That's a perfect description. Yeah. So um, th- this this swarm, and it is a big ass swarm, kind of like beats Spider Man up a little bit, but he like gets his bearings, starts to fight back, and after like much longer than it's taking me to describe this, discovers that the bats are in some way robotic. Like he breaks one of them. Um, and, or catches one of them, I think, mm-hmm. and sees that like it's broken and sparking. Yeah. Um, so he's like, wait a second, something's off here, which I think is really cool given a very recent portrayal of, of Mysterio that we've gotten. So yeah, yeah. as he contends with these bat bots. Which I, I like, I think that they're so fun. And the thing they have like characterization. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> so like, first of all, when they explode, there's a glitter sound effect when they like burst into green dust which is so fun (laughs) but also like it's hard to understand what they're saying sometimes but if you have the captions on like the things that they say are things like uh, the two that i wrote down that were the best ones what there's one point when they smash together and as they smash together they say what a world like the wicked (laughs) witch and another one i don't remember what he's doing he's like i think it's when they're like grabbing spider-man or something he says oh no you don't girlfriend (laughs) um they're also i should have written this down I'm pretty sure they're officially called homunculi, and they're voiced by, like, voice actors from the show. Oh, nice. I'm curious who voices them. I didn't actually think to look that up, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, let's see, D. Bradley Baker is, I guess, one of the voices. Steve oh, I can Blum, see that. I guess, is one of the voices. Um, and I'm pretty sure I saw another one. Oh, Tom Adcox Hernandez. Who oh, oh, okay. He's the we he's haven't the... talked about, but appears at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah. He's and he's one other. He's another gargoyles carryover because he's Lexington and gargoyles. Yeah. So it's just like a funny little thing that that you know. I I don't know if if they all provided like crowd noise and one of them was a voice or if each one of them did a line because there are multiple lines. Um, but it was just such a funny little detail. That was another thing that like at the end of the episode I was like homunculi what the hell are those and it took me (laughs) a few times like thinking about it and watching the episode to realize like oh that's probably who they are (laughs) yeah that's so funny because i don't know who else that could apply to like it doesn't you know it doesn't make any sense i love how how uh, goofy how love how goofy they are because they're all drawn like really exaggerated like with Mm -hmm. exaggerated like expressions and you know they're just like super cute like it's almost it's it's sort of um kind of the goofiest thing that we've really gotten i think on this show so far uh which is appropriate for mysterio so i'm Mm -hmm. cool with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah mysterio always lets them do weird shit so why not so as he contends with all these bat bots, which is a challenge because they're like wings slice him, they bite him. There's just like a huge swarm of them. Mysterio attempts to sort of like magic cloud himself away from the like from the premises, but with the chamber. Luckily, Spider-Man kind of like sees that this is happening. And when Mysterio does this, like all of his quote spells sort of like dissipate. So Spider-Man has the opportunity to like think for a second and hops onto the chamber before Mysterio disappears. And I think he says something like, I hope I'm right about this or something like that. Oh, so, I think because it's like fi- it like makes it like looks like fire. So he's like, at least I'll be warm. Or oh, <laughs> is that what? <laughs> okay, yeah, I think gotcha. he says something like that. <laughs> but yeah, so he's 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 hopping on on that. So this magic cloud travels across the sky to a warehouse. Imagine if you're just like in New York, just like driving or walking and you're just like look up and see a green cloud like flying across the sky. Just a weird pollutant. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, you know, it would fit in. <laughs> that makes Weird sense. sewer cloud. <laughs> <laughs> sewer cloud. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it travels across the sky to a warehouse and reveals itself to be like a drone, uh, basically. That in that so that cloud stuff is just like fog that it's projecting. And the chamber is attached via a cable with it. So Spidey hops off and observes that Mysterio's lair is, as we've seen in other iterations of him, a prop house. Which confirms Liz's casual assertion that it's probably not sorcery, but instead all smoke and mirrors. It's basically literally that. Yep. So Spidey kind of tries to sneak up on Mysterio to learn his identity. But just like in the 1981 show, he is foiled by his own sneezing. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. It's it's very funny because Mysterio is helmet, helmetless here. But, like, he, he tries so yeah. hard to cover up his face, which is, like, hilarious given, like, what happens at the end of the episode yeah. with his reveal. That he's trying so hard to protect his identity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the scene, though. That's just the way that they... They depict it because he, you know, he sneaks up on Mysterio un unfishbold and then sneezes and you do get that shot of him like covering his face, but simultaneously like throwing a smoke capsule behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was like a cool way to to do that. It was a, yeah. a good, good, good uh, animated motion. Very good. I meant to ask this before, but when you said fishbowl, it reminded me, what do you think of uh, Mysterio's design in this? I think it's fine. Like, I think, it, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's. Pretty much exactly what I would have expected Mysterio to look like in this style. Yeah. Like yeah. there's really no, there's, it's not like there's no surprises or anything, um, but it's also not, it's not, uh, it's not bad. Like I don't think every design in the show works for me, um, but yeah. this one works fine. Yeah, I think it's the the, the only deviation is sort of like the weird kind of reflection shadow on his fishbowl that makes it sort of look like he has a face. I don't, I don't really love that, but it does make it distinct from other versions of them so i appreciate i don't that. mind it I, I don't know why it does kind of look like eyeballs so that's a little weird and has it runs the risk of being goofy yeah but it's it's i think it's animated well enough that those two things stay exactly in place all the time mm-hmm. so it never gets that weird sort of like googly eye effect right right or like the weird sort of like goldfish or iguana effect so like i i think it it wasn't too distracting but i i i mean if i had a choice i wouldn't do it but i thought it right. was okay Right. Yep. 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 It's fine. <laughs> Basically, it's fine. It's a pretty classic design they use. So yeah, yeah. understandable. Yeah. So the uh, so now the battle's begun. Right. So the carrying drone shoots lightning at Spider-Man, attempts to throw him into an industrial fan with a me- 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 mechanical tentacle. Just I'm not even going to do that again. <laughs> wow. Just keep it in. You know what's interesting about this mechanical tentacle? It is a way more traditional looking mechanical tentacle than the actual mechanical <laughs> tentacles attached to Doc Ock in this series. That's so true. That's <laughs> so true. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also the classic train illusion that and that's what kind of tips Spidey off to like how Mysterio is doing things. He's sort of like, oh, okay, this mist that you always project, it's actually holograms. Uh, projected on that mist. So that's one clue for how he's going to be able to defeat him later. He also is attacked by a pair of floating boxing <laughs> gloves. I don't know the technology that that's that's there. I mean, I guess if drones, baby, that's yeah, no, you're right. It's drones. That's what cool. I think is so cool about, I, you know, I don't know enough about Mysterio, like the, the various iterations of Mysterio to know, like when the timeline of drones and Mysterio intersected. But I do love that this series the iteration of Mysterio relies pretty heavily on drones. And then Jake Gyllenhaal's portrayal is like 
spoiler alert, like pretty much all about drones. <laughs> right, right. So I, I love that that there's that that parallel. And it's not yeah. an amazing Spider-Man reference. So uh, you're welcome, everybody. MCU, <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I also like in the sequence when Spidey kind of is calling Mysterio out for like, I know you don't have to do the, 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 the Latin stuff. I know that it's not <laughs> real magic. And that's when he does like the Latin, like he says the Latin that he, then translates to you're in a world of hurt but like, like that. He, he even strips his own accent away and yes. says it in his no- normal voice I like a more, in a that. more sinister one it's a really really smart acting choice very smart i really dig it yeah that was good so upon realizing that mysterio is using both tangible and intangible tactics spider-man covers his eyes and his ears with a web blindfold and decides that the only way he's going to succeed is to rely solely on his spider sense this peter kid's pretty smart eh mm-hmm. it works uh, as he's able to ignore both a tiger and a serpent illusion but dodge a swinging blade fight and destroy a robot teddy bear which i want in my house uh <laughs> and avoid a number of darts <laughs> that appear from sort of tiki sort of totem pole things <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all very strange but again mysterio and mysterio's lair lair is very strange so yeah i like this technique it's not you know they're not the first ones to do it but i like seeing it i think it's always cool when they can yeah. really really highlight the uh the strength that his spider sense has very cool i i love the sequence a lot it's great yes as Spidey says, to the unblindfolded, I'm sure this is all very ent- entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, after that, this is another very extremely well-animated sequence. Oh, where Mysterio, my gosh. It's just, this is it's my like, favorite sequence of the whole, of the whole episode. Yeah, it's so it's good. It's good. Cause it, and it's like nonstop, right? It's like yep. nonstop motion in a way that this show, like I've never seen a show do as well as this show does. It's um, great. Because Mysterio unleashes a whole bunch of copies of himself, basically like a whole army of mm-hmm. copies that, that are all tangible because they're all robots. So Spidey's kind of clashing with a bunch of them at the same time. He's able to figure out that they're robots. Um, By and like, decapitating one of them with a table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So so not only are Mysterio robots chasing after them, but like some of them are like missing limbs and heads and stuff, <laughs> which is just wild. It's so good. It's so well done. And um, like – the actual scene in the saloon is like incredible and so so smooth. Like just that, I rewatched a bunch of times because I was like, "This is so nice just to look at." But one thing I really appreciated was half of this fight with the robots takes well more of it, not exactly half, but part of it takes place in the saloon, and then part of it takes place outside the saloon, which is against the backdrop of like an alien invasion. And when they're in the saloon, the music is all like old timey saloon music. And yeah. then when they go outside, it's like weird 60s sci-fi music. <laughs> I love so I love good. that you're noticing it's the so music. Good. <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. It's it great. was really it's wonderful. Great. Everything about the sequence is 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 masterful. I feel like Mysterio just like brings out the best in Spider-Man stuff. He's because you can do whatever you want. Like you get to be unabashedly weird when you when you decide what he's going to do, you know? So I think there's a level of creativity that he sort of elicits from creators that I'm I'm sure other, you know, villains that I would even say I like way more than Mysterio uh just don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Doc Ock is my favorite, but he doesn't exactly elicit like creativity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so that's so true. Yeah. Um, and you really see it in this fight sequence because it's just oh my God. so good. It's so good. 
the, the sequence goes on for a long time, but Spidey does uh, eventually kind of come out on top with it. There's a, there's a nice like what are you gonna do bite my kneecaps off little joke because it's a robot that like literally has no <laughs> limbs left. So it's great, weird stuff like that. That's what we love. But uh, but yeah, so you know he tosses uh, one of the robot torsos at what he believes to be the real Mysterio because he sees him kind of like escaping like off stage like behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. So he throws that torso at the real Mysterio in order to distract him long enough to grab his remote control glove and disable any of those robot clones. Like with which is not a great system. Like one button turns off all of your clones. Come on, buddy. Yeah, I was surprised it was just one glove and not both of them. Not really important, but. Yeah. I was surprised. I was like, just the one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Spidey also, like, figures out, um, like, pretty intuitively, I, I wouldn't have figured this out if I was him, but he's a smart guy that, like, he, that the sleep stuff, like, the sleep spell was probably, like, a uh, a um, a gas that has, like, no smell that, that you can't see that's just, like, out of a sleep gas, essentially. Which backs up the 1981 claim that Spider-Man has super spider breath. <laughs> Oh my God. Yep. Yep. <laughs> because Spider-Man was resistant, not fully immune, but resistant to the gas. <laughs> so funny. So funny. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, he does swim a lot. I feel like in a lot of these shows. So, That's like, true. That's the other thing in this, in this episode that he does that has to do with respiration. He dives deep into that uh, water. <laughs> yep. This is when we get a really, truly great scene, because now that he's defeated, Mysterio has the big, dramatic unveiling of his <laughs> secret identity. I'm Quentin Beck, one of Chameleon's henchmen. And um, <laughs> Spider-Man's like, I, uh, okay, I don't remember. Cool. I mean, if you say so, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he, he goes, alas, it is me. And Spider-Man's just like, all right, you know who I am, right? Sure. To- yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, it's just so good and awkward. He even, like, refers back to, like, what was his, like, cool bat. What to him was this cool, <laughs> badass, w- memorable one-liner, the Demitas, Spider-Man. Which we like, even mentioned. He's not wrong. I remember talking about that. Because I didn't know what Demitas was, you know. Right. So it was like we had a cool conversation about it. He even says it in the exact same way that he Amazing. said it in that episode. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so good. But it's fine. He's just like, I fight supervillains literally every week. Like, what do you want from me, dude? Come on. So good. So good. You know, like Spider-Man in this episode, and we'll get into it a little bit next week too. In next week's episode, there's like a level of confidence that he has against these villains that I really appreciate and wasn't necessarily expecting to manifest in the way that it is. Yeah. But I kind of love it. Like the fact that he is just sort of like, okay, guy, sure. Like, all right. (laughs) Well, I think because that's what you say. (laughs) Right. And I think that's, it's great because that's such a, that makes him so distinct when he's Peter Parker and not being able to like make up his mind about things Mm -hmm. being decisive and not knowing how to like act around people or respond to people. Like it's, it's one of those things that we've had conversations about this, like from this show where they talk about like, what's the real mask and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, for Peter, like he's at his most confident when he's Spider-Man. And I think this show really exemplifies that it so does. well. Well, and it's nice to see it because, you know, very early on in the series, Spider-Man himself said, like, part of the part of what the show was doing very early on was like, this is a very new Spider-Man. How do I figure out being Spider-Man? And so it's just cool seeing him when he's at his most confident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's all over with. I love that that Mysterio is like the one villain where like he demands no respect at all. Like he, I mean, he 
he <laughs> demands it for himself, but right. like he d- like the character does not demand it from the story. So you can have this anticlimax with him, it's and it's great. great, and it fits him perfectly. It's like, of course, somebody with that big of an ego is going to like <laughs> no one's going to care what he has to say. You know, it's funny though. It's not even just this. I mean, the, the way that the guards sort of regard him. Um, the way that, you know, Mencken sort of regards him, but then even just the way normal people regard him on the bridge, there's like this sort of like classic Spider-Man New Yorker moment where, <laughs> you know, Mysterio says something about banishing something, something, something. And one of the just like extra New York people's like, what about we banish you? Like, it's just <laughs> like nobody takes him seriously at all. It's so good. It's so good. It's so it's funny. So good. I love it. I love it. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Mysterio's great. We love Mysterio. Uh, <laughs> that's all over with because the next morning, Peter is, has kind of beat the villain and everything, but he's still not feeling great about it because he's looking at his to-do list, and I have 100% felt this, oh, realizes he, he did not accomplish anything that he wrote down on his to-do <laughs> list, um, yeah. including taking care of Aunt May, at least according to him, because downstairs, he sees Aunt May making breakfast again. Um, she still refuses his objections to it. And 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 like changes the subject by giving him a piece of mail that was addressed to him. Um, he opens it and excitedly is like basically rewarded with an exclusive contract and advance from the Daily Bugle, which was brought up wait like before the finale. I think it was in. I don't remember what episode it was in the first season, but I remember us talking about it because it was it was when like he when Jonathan like kicks Peter out for like having pictures of Spider-Man. It was when um, I think it was during the black suit arc because it was when John had returned from space. So Jonah was like, I only want pictures of my son and not Spider-Man. You can take him to the globe for all I care. And then Peter does Mm, that. And so because of that, they're like, ah, shit, we should have done that. So let's lock him down an exclusive contract. That was episodes ago. And they're finally, finally, Finally closing that loop. I love that. Well, and he even mentions, like, Robbie said this would happen. So, this, I mean, even in this episode, they reference that thing that happened. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cool. And I guess mm-hmm. that's sort of what, I, what I'm talking about, like, when I say the show does a good job of, like, naturally recapping itself. Even if you didn't remember that happening, like, they still explain that this was something he was expecting and kind of why. And I, I think that's a, a good way to naturally go about it. Yeah, because you don't need all the prior context for it. It's just that this is a thing that's happening based on prior yeah. events, and that's kind of enough. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hopefully that you have seen the show. But even if you <laughs> haven't or don't remember right. it, it doesn't really matter because you, you can still understand what's going on, which is yeah. pretty cool. Also, this means, Peter, you can you can cross off Take Care of Aunt May, at least for today. <laughs> yeah. Because it's going to help you both, buddy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, but this prompts him to, like, his first reaction is how much he wants to call and tell Gwen, and he catches himself doing it, which is a nice bit of self-awareness for him. Mm-hmm. Which is like, oh, wow, she's literally the first one I want to tell. Like, that means something, right? He says this out loud, too, and I really wish that Aunt May had said something in response. She does, like, has a little, like, smile to at him and everything, but yeah, she uh, doesn't. But this Aunt May, though, I feel like she's she's, like, not shy about, like, getting in his business in, like, mm-hmm. a not annoying way. And I guess, like, the next thing that happens sort of prevents that from being necessary or, like, or this would have detracted from what happens next. But I was, like, fully expecting some sort of, like, very Aunt Mayism. Yeah. 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 I think the only – yeah, I think the only reason it doesn't happen is because he gets the phone call 
literally right after, which is just another case of his complicated life being interrupted before having any kind of like emotional <laughs> connection with another person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause he gets this call, which I think does, does he think it's going to be Gwen? Aunt May, s- Aunt May thinks it's Gwen. She okay. has a little comment about it and he's like, nope, it's like the opposite of Gwen actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cause it's Norman Osborn. Um, it's not bad, but it's certainly not what he was expecting. And like you said, it's another obstacle because Norman Osborn calls him and does let him know that he will have his job back at ESU, which I would like to believe was a condition of Martha saying like, Norman, you can tell him. <laughs> it's oh, probably not I the case that. because of like what he also offers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to believe that she was like, you want him, you let him know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But more likely, it's because he also offers Peter a personal mentorship. And we get this, like, inner inner monologue moment where, you know, in response to Norman saying, like, what is Norman? I don't know. Norman asks him something. But ultimately, Peter's like, you're creepy, dude. But despite this, he's, like, not stupid. So he knows the opportunity that this is. So he mentions that he finds Norman creepy to himself, but ultimately accepts everything that Norman is offering. Yeah. Including this offer to meet up for breakfast, which Peter initially is like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be available for that because we know he's trying to call Gwen. But Norman does his Norman thing and is like, it would be a mistake to turn down every opportunity. So Peter's like, okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'll go to dinner with Norman instead of Gwen. Ew. How does he make opening a boiled egg look so creepy? Ew, dude. I don't. Why is he even eating a hard... Okay, I guess I get it. He's like a businessman, and I imagine he's the kind of person that never, like, stops to eat unless it's, like, business-related, like we saw earlier. Sure. But, good lord, why are you even eating a hard-boiled egg, like, at your desk, sir? (laughs) It's also... They, like, do such a good job animating it so that, like, the colors and the animation of the egg being peeled is, like, kind of slimy and gross. Yeah. Like, it's just... Ugh, and I like hard-boiled eggs, but, like, good lord, he makes it gross. You're right. Yeah, Ugh. it's great. They do such a great job with just making Norman just the skeeviest person, even if we have mo- so many, like, I mean, we've seen him do horrible things. We've also seen him, like, not do horrible right. things. So it's sort of like, but but oh, but we're always, no matter what he's doing, always leaning on the side of, like, okay, fine, but I don't like you. He just You're makes creepy. your skin crawl. Yeah. It is interesting to me, uh, not just from like a creepy point of view, but like one of the things when I, when I first watched this originally, my question with this was sort of like, okay, Norman's role has always been related to either Green Goblin or Harry. Both of those things are currently out of the picture and we didn't really see much of him at the end of last season after that whole arc was over. So like now he's like being introduced in a role that's clearly going to put him in Peter's orbit, like what is his role on the show going to be now? Mm-hmm. Which is such an interesting question because I feel like it's kind of unprecedented for this particular character because so he's always been so entwined with that supervillain persona. So when you have those elements away from him, but still have him clearly being a creepy guy who is still related to like creating supervillains and being involved in skeezy shit, like right. what's his role this season going to be? And I think that's going to be a really fascinating thing to track as well. And it's a really mm-hmm. smart thing for them to do because this is sort of the first time I think on this show where we have like a character that has has kind of already had a bit of an arc or been heavily involved in it that now is at a point where it's sort of like I don't know what 
what's going to happen with them next. Like, I don't like, it's not like you have a, you know, like it's not like an Eddie Brock inevitably be going to turn into Venom situation because we've already seen a Green Goblin arc play out. So like, what's he going to do now? And that's such, it's such a cool thing to be in that position at the top of a season with a character like Norman Osborn of all people. Mm -hmm. Well, we talked so much, you know, during the first season about how these writers sort of play with the meta and use it to their advantage. And, you know, I was humbled at a point where I had to like let myself write it instead of predict it. So I don't really know. And I'm not going to try to make like huge predictions, but I do recognize what they've been able to do with our baseline expectations. And at this point, you're right. Like we just don't even know what to expect. So they could do anything they want. And I think, again, I think they know that like they always do. Yep. Yep. It creates a sort of suspense that wouldn't exist if we didn't know who Norman Osborn was. Right. It's so it's so interesting. But but you know what? Even if you were a kid watching and and didn't really know the mythos at all, he's still been involved with enough creepy supervillain stuff from the first (laughs) season that just the idea of him becoming more heavily involved in Peter's life. There is still tension there. It's a different kind of tension, but it's still certainly there because you still know that he in some way is bad news. I guess I should say it like enhances that similar to the the way that the PS4 game manages the meta of Otto Octavius, right? Like it's all there. The emotional impact is there, even if you have no idea who Otto Octavius is, but it's enhanced if you do. I think that's kind of what this is. Like you're right. The tension's all there. He's creepy no matter what. You could have no idea who these characters are and – and know that you're supposed to be sort of skeeved out by Norman Osborn, but knowing where it could go and where it might might not go based on what we've seen uh, adds a layer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're so smart. They're so smart. They're so smart. <laughs> well, this episode ends where we're just about wrapped up. It ends back at Mysterio's lair. Wait, what? I thought he was mm-hmm. arrested. We see Tinkerer again, the first time since we saw him back in uh, Quentin Beck's first appearance in the Chameleon episode in the first season, they're apparently still working together. Interesting. And he <laughs> is there chastising a Mysterio. Um, I thought he was in prison now. <laughs> yep. So the reason he's chastising him is like, why? So you made a robotic clone to take the fall <laughs> for you, but you still made it look like you instead of literally anybody. You couldn't frame anybody else. Um, and uh, Beck's just like, but I'm an actor. It's the role of the century. It's so good. I, I couldn't let him. anyone take credit for that. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, what? Uh, which lets us know that, you know, the, the Mysterio that would have been turned in by Spider-Man was just a robot. Yeah. Or I think they specifically call it an android. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so this argument's starting to break out. But uh, before they can fully go into it, Tinker is like, okay, anyway, I'm going to contact the master planner, hmm. who is our boss, apparently, to let him know that everything Mysterio stole has remained untouched which plays right into the misdirection theme of the episode. Not a super, not a super surprising one or inventive one or anything, but plays, but we've been following that track of that theme the entire time. And turns out the final battle was just a misdirection to get Mysterio, a fake Mysterio arrested so they could keep all the equipment that they actually stole. Yep. Yep. Smart cookies, smart Mm -hmm. cookies. It also pans down to the basement where we see the materials, which is basically just like a bunch of boxes uh, some stuff we've already seen, but then a bunch of crates that say Tricor. Yes, they do. And I'm sure we already know a master planner is, right? It's definitely Aunt May because it's already been clearly set up. Well, yeah. I mean, that's we've 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 acknowledged that that is her superpower mm-hmm. because otherwise that Thanksgiving dinner never could have happened. Yep. 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 
I mean, sorry, spoiler alert, everybody. We figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another another terrible surprise from the spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man. So we have a couple faces of the episode here. First one, just a bit of wholesomeness. This is Stanley enjoying a hot cup of coffee, giving us a thumbs up, and it's just the kind of content we need in 2020. So Aww. I couldn't help but grab That's it sweet. so that we could share it with the world. <laughs> Very sweet. I love it. It's good. <sighs> yeah. The other one, it's a, it's a devastating shot with great composition, but the, it's 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 of the bit where like Liz is like very smitten with Peter while we clearly see Gwen sad in the background. But what I love about it, it's a good shot in general, but I love about it is that Peter's face is just very weirdly drawn in a great way because um, it's just full profile. And because this show is so flat, it's like even flatter when it's in profile. And like his mouth is just a little bit higher than it normally is. And it's just like a little teeny tiny line <laughs> under his nose and makes his chin look very big. And it's just a silly weird face, especially given that like, <laughs> It's it's in response to Liz like happily smiling at him. Yeah. <laughs> well, every, I mean, every face in this frame basically tells or establishes the story that we're getting moving forward. Yeah. Like it is pretty emblematic of what we're <laughs> we are to expect. <laughs> Very so true. It, it really describes the dynamic. I think you probably could like show this picture to someone who doesn't even know what it's from, and they could probably, within a few guesses, understand what's going on. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Good. Cool. First episode of the season. Are you glad we're back at the Spectacular Spider-Man now? I am glad we're back at Spectacular Spider-Man. It's 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 what I expect from this show. I mean, this episode isn't necessarily, I don't know, like super deep or super complicated or, you know, anything like that. But as as far as like a first episode goes, it just throws you right back into everything in a way that isn't overwhelming, but like reattaches you to the threads that you were entwined with when you were watching the first season. Sure. Um, And then it establishes some dynamics moving forward. So it does everything it's supposed to do kind of in exactly the well-crafted way that I would come to expect. And it leaves you with a little bit of something at the end there to know that it's not an episode that will be inconsequential with regards to its villain. The villain Mm -hmm. is likely to come back. So where they could have gotten away with doing everything they did in this episode Um, as the first of a season and just leaving that villain as like okay well we wanted to kick things off but like we didn't want to you know invest too much like no they they did they went for it they invested in it and i know that we'll be seeing more of that and i don't know what it's going to be so yep kind of kind of everything you come to expect right (laughs) yeah they're good at this they know what they're doing (laughs) yeah mysterio is always fun it's a good fun start fun start to the season because it does feel like kind of a fresh little reset while still mm-hmm. obviously carrying over tons of stuff from the end of last season. But yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good. It's a good season opener. I wish we could have seen more season openers. <laughs> but it's a good one. <laughs> Very it's, true. It's a good Very one. True. And I will say too, I didn't point this out at the beginning, but if you're curious, the said in the first season that every every uh there's like multiple arcs per season. Oh, I meant to ask you this, yeah. Based this one is based in engineering one oh one. I probably, you know, I I should have just guessed. Uh, I probably could have guessed just from the, the title of this one alone, not even the others. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yep. 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 Cool. Well, and we'll be back to a couple more, uh, three more episodes in this arc. So we'll be uh, we'll be talking about engineering for a while. Get excited, everybody. Yeah. And if yeah. you'd like to listen to us talk about things that aren't engineering, <laughs> although I guess we could in the future if we wanted to. 
Uh, you can check out more of what we do over on Patreon, where we throw a bunch of bonus episodes and content that's different than our main feed, stuff that we wouldn't necessarily put there, things that are fun but not necessarily in line with show recap. So check that out if you are interested in more from us. You can see that at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers and decide exactly which content is right for you. In the meantime, if you would like to see what we're up to individually, you can do that. Derek, where can people find you and the things you are working on? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also find me on another podcast here on the Four Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you are into reading or pop culture, you can check me out on another podcast uh, over probably on Anchor at this point called Novel Gaming, where my friends Vicky, Katie, and I talk about whatever we're reading, playing, and watching. Neat. Very cool. Yeah. If you would like to find Walloping Web Snappers online on social media or wherever, you can do that uh, at our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. You can follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Send us all of your thoughts on Spectacular Spider-Man. I won't read them because I don't know what happens next, but Derek will. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you write us a review, we will read it dramatically online and post it for all to see. And next week, Craven gets a little bit catty in destructive testing. See you then. Bye.